Hello and welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydock, watch a story chosen by a friend of mine. They've picked their favourite things about each episode, so whilst I commentate along, I have to see if I can guess what that favourite thing is. Hi there, uh, this is Annie Wallace here. I play uh, Sally Sinclair on Channel 4's Hollyoaks. So... When Toby asked me which story would I like to talk about, I had a big think, and I have chosen Planet of the Spiders. Well, I've just got off my hovercraft and come back into my living room to continue watching Planet of the Spiders, which has been very enjoyable so far. Uh, for those who aren't keeping up, I, I, I've the part we are. Is unfortunate in my eyes in that 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 almost every single one of the stories was for me first experienced as a target book, uh, and then failed to live up to what what my imaginary forces had done to conjure it in my mind's eye, uh, and the addition of Flair's messy hair and very f and, and from one kind of fringe to another the fringing of the cso um has always made it slight made my my the, the hairs on the back of my neck sort of itch a little bit and, and made me slightly uncomfortable um and and then when i did running through corridors with rob shearman um watching them on a weekly basis and watching the error all the way through i got a much a much greater understanding and I think appreciation of them, and and uh, I always loved season seven, by the way, um, uh, but that was partially because I think the stories were either so different or I hadn't I hadn't actually read the the, the books, um, but we'll get onto that when we do season seven. But Planet of the Spiders was one of the early books, was one of the best books, was a really exciting story, and um, and. Uh, I, I got it on video, but I got episode six first, which was terribly disappointing um, for all sorts of reasons. I'll talk to talk, talk, talk on when we get to episode six. And then I got it much later. I got the, the, the rest of it. Uh, and uh, and uh, certainly enjoyed the first couple of episodes more than I more than the rest. Uh, which is unfortunate for us because now we are on part three. Now, I'm never going to lie through all of this, but I, I am going to, you know, I I am here to accentuate the positive. And I was in a great mood when we did uh, parts one and two. It's lovely to have Annie Wallace on board. I was delighted when I found out Annie was one of us. And uh, uh, then when she uh, agreed to do the podcast, even more so. Um, so, you know, I'll never, I'll, I'll never lie. Uh, but I'm here to accentuate the positive and I think a bit of positive thinking and, uh, you know, trying to appreciate what, what, what the makers were doing. And, you know, I know people who I love and respect and who I know are very intelligent and people of good taste who, who absolutely adore this story. So, you know, let's not uh, uh, let's not say it's impossible to love. It is it is one of the more popular. Um, I don't think it's as popular now as it once was. But uh, anyway, let's get into it. But I just be aware that I'm going into this slightly nervously but that I'm not going to pretend to like anything I don't I never do that in in this I but I always try and I always try and sift through uh, uh, an episode even, even that I think is detritus uh, I, I try and sift through it and find a, a, a flash of gold here and there but I will never go oh I, I I I quite like that costume if if I don't 
I'll, I'll ignore the costume and go, but that person's got excellent teeth and uh, <laughs> or whatever. So let's let's see how we do, because this previously for me, this is where I have found the story a challenge. Uh, and we'll find out why. But listen, I come to praise Planet of the Spiders, not to bury it. So let's see what we can do about the whole praising thing in three, two, one. Um, so it becomes a very different story this week, doesn't it? I mean, the Metabilis thing is a wonderful gag, isn't it? In a way, you know, we, we, we had the whole build up in the before the green death and then he goes to metabilis 3 and there's a completely sort of pointless you know film sequence that looks like it went to a lot of effort to basically have the joke of going you know this famous blue planet of the actian galaxy that he keeps banging on about it's an absolute hellhole of tendrils and spears um but the doctor gets a beautiful crystal and oh that's nice he's got a he's got a nice crystal and it and it Obviously, it has properties that are that are useful in the Green Death, and uh, uh, the the fact that that has all now come back, you know, to round off the era, I think is 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 very pleasing, uh, and you know, it gives it gives a shape to the to the Pertwee era that uh, that it that is rather satisfying, um, and 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 really feels like. You know, and because because it's not just Pertwee, but it's Pertwee and the unit lot, uh, 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 and you know, we know that you know Terence Dix and Barry Letts were a were a fine partnership, who were simpatico and who remained friends. They had fish and chips every Friday uh, up until till Barry died. Um, so, and you know, it's fair to say that Barry Letts had a had a vision, a vision, and he was a very very nice man. Uh, was Barry Letts? Um, you know, he was a he was a man of good intent. He wanted to, you know, and there is a there is a a, a, a sort of moral rigor to his to his stories. Not just about not just the the Buddhist thing, which I know is a, is is a, a a very ham fisted, even though I was talking with my mouth, not my hand. But you know what I mean. A, a, a way of describing something that. Um, you know, has has a, a lot to recommend it. Um, if you are, dare I say it, a better person than I, 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 I love the idea of meditating and finding inner peace, but I'm I'm I have far too itchy feet. Uh, I I like the genuine sweat on John Dirt's face here. He um he he really does look like a kind of normal guy. You know, who's who's. You know, it's probably you can imagine he's got a vest on underneath. You know, and he he doesn't have a shower. He just takes his he, he takes his polo neck off and sort of washes his armpits, and then puts his polo neck back on. Uh, he, but he's got a great face, a really sort of lived-in face. Um, but, but oh, and that's a nice little sort of out of focus change of scene from from uh, from 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 Lup Lupton to the spiders. I, I and the, I think the queen spider is a is a is a lovely prop. You know, she's got a very uh, I, I could say a very prominent back end, but she's a, you know she's a good shape and she's got individual hairs on eggs. And I quite like what they do with Lupton's face here. They're trying to do that sort of 
Uh, it's a bit similar to a, an, an effect they had in the clause of Axos, isn't it? But, you know, it's gone to a bit of effort to make sure it's not just a floating head. It's, it's sort of coalescing and moving and uh, it's, it's not just completely still, which, which kind of then sort of covers up the, the CSO element of it because it's sort of saying, well, it's supposed to be slightly sort of shimmery and slightly strange. I like the, I like the ambition of doing that, even though it's not, it's not amazing. It's, it's very blue, though, this story. And I don't know if... I don't know if I like... I don't dislike the colour blue, but with Pertwee's jacket being very purple as well. And I know it's the famous blue planet, so it has to be blue. Um, uh, but I don't know. I don't know. It's not a colour palette that particularly excites me. Whereas you can do things with sort of blue lighting effects and shadow and stuff like that. But... Um, yeah, I think I th I think that yeah, I don't know. I think they could have done a bit more there. But anyway, we're not we're not concentrating on the things they could have done slightly better. This, you know, this feels like a real place. Um you know, and he's a you know, he's a yeah, he's a real person. There's a bit of CSO. But that's the I mean the you know, having having done the one with the yeah, that's that's yeah, that CSO is is the sort of thing that the younger me would have really, really sort of gone. Well, I'm definitely not showing this to my friends at school. Not my friends, <laughs> friends of school were, were queuing up to watch old Doctor Who. Um, but the you know, having done the maggots, I think having then going well, let's do spiders was a fantastic idea. And of course, we know that they 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 had a more effective special effect spider that they decided not to use. Um, now, Kevin Lindsay, it's nice to see him here because he's, he's so good as Lynx, the Sontaran, which I think is one of the best uh, monster performances in the whole of Doctor Who. He was an Australian. Um, forgive me if I'm repeating myself for the time, from the time around. He was also the partner of the guy that ended up being uh, Nigel Hawthorne's life partner when Nigel Hawthorne died and, and uh, because they were... It was terrible. I read about this afterwards. I, I think I, Paul Eddington mentions it in his book. Um, that Nigel Hawthorne, wonderful English actor from Yes Minister, when he died because they were a gay, not married couple, because I think it was you know it was before civil partnerships or only at the very early days of them. No, I think it was actually before. It was before. Um, you know, had to sell the house because he wasn't he wasn't entitled to he wasn't entitled to anything under law because he was uh, uh, you know a partner in a gay relationship. Um, a, a, a reminder that um you know recent history that you know our, our society allowed things to happen that we now look on and just think well that, that could never happen here did happen here in our lifetimes and was awful um i i i, I quite like the fact that that lupton isn't a, a sort of a, a an unstable base commander or somebody uh uh, you know, who's a who's a scientist who's gone bad. You know, a, a, a great man who was uh, overreaching ambition. You know, that's what a lot of so a lot a lot of big stories are, isn't there? They're about they're about people who are in positions of power who who have you know who who, who because of that overreach themselves. Whereas this guy's a slightly pissed off. What is he? Insurance salesman. <laughs> uh, and and you know, it's not it's not it's not supposed to be the focus really we we, we get this backstory to give to to, to to give uh to give tommy a chance to to nick the uh 
to nick the uh, the crystal oh no that's funny i i said that thing about oh you know i imagine i imagine him you know washing his armpits or whatever i'd i'd forgotten that this this scene is actually about him washing his face and you know washing he doesn't do his armpits i don't think people in doctor who have armpits it's a children's program everybody uh um i i really like Christopher Burgess here. I like the way he says, I just came here to find peace of mind. Christopher Burgess has a very broken quality about him. As he got older, he played sort of slightly bicardigand, um, again, slightly sort of broken sort of characters. He's, he's actually got a very nice part in Joss's Giants. Do you remember the, the, the football thing, which also has Jenny McCracken in it, and uh, who are both, and they're both Barry Letts regulars, although Barry Letts had nothing to do with, uh, with uh, Joss's Giants. Um, but Christopher Burgess has that that voice that slightly cracks, uh, and 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 I and I think he's he's absolutely perfectly cast here. Um, now is the time to wheel out the fact that he was one of those people that I I, I never got to interview, um, and 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 actually had given up all hope of because he was he was poorly in the same uh, in the same facility that um, uh, Richard Franklin lives in Charterhouse. Uh, a sort of retirement home, uh, you know, old arms almshouse place, um, and also an actor called Robert Aldous who was in the Dalek Invasion of Earth. And and Robert said, "Oh, you know, Christopher Burgess is here, but he's he's got emphysema. He's he's quite quite. I think he got dementia as well. He's in the he's in the hospital. I go and visit him. And I said, oh, you know, I'd love to love to chat to him.' And he said, "Well, I'll, I'll ask him." Uh, and he said, "Yes," but it was the summer holidays. Uh, and so I said, well, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll call you, I'll call you when I've had the kids and done all that. And, uh, in, in the course of that sort of two or three week break, um, uh, I got an email from Robert saying that Christopher had passed away. Uh, so, um, uh, you know, I don't think I was going to get a, an interview out of him. I think I was just nice to go and say hello, you know, um, uh, he was at drama school with, um, Bernard Kay and Maurice Perry, who was Captain Dentin. Uh, colony in space at the Bristol uh, no not the Bristol Old Vic the Old Vic in London um, and yes ha always has that slightly wretched quality about him that uh, that that as I say as, as he got older he sort of cropped you, you see him occasionally in the bill as a sort of yeah slightly slightly sort of threadbare neighbour or, what, or whatever uh, I, now this is great I think I, 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 I because because Lupton is you know, just just a slightly irritated salesman. Uh, I I like I like the fact that they give him this sort of slightly fractious relationship with that's an ex that that spider looks great there. You are clever, clever Lupton. Um, I I I like the fact that he's able to mentally turn the tables on the spider. But then when she goes, oh, you're quite clever, and he says, I'm cleverer than most people here, and you go, oh, you arrogant sod. Um, it's 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 sort of it's an it's a nicely varied dynamic uh and you kind of i think you kind of slightly admire him there and then he blows it all by saying he's cleverer than most people here and you go you're a you're a, you're a you're a bitter salesman who's ended up in a buddhist retreat because you you've you know you you're slightly sort of washed up and regretful um and you can't run properly um but nonetheless, I think this is a great episode for Lupton, who I think becomes increasingly less well served by by the story. Um, 
Ah, John Pertwee with his very bouffant hair. Um, I do love Sarah Jane's costume. Um, oh, and t the time is, it'll all be the same in 100 years. Now, that's a bit of a call back to the demons, isn't it? Where uh, Bert, the landlord, goes, all be same in 100 years, sir. And Doctor Who goes, I can assure you it won't be. Um, but but that there, it's a sort of country bumpkin being, you know, officious and, uh, uh, you know, deliberately holding up the impatient city boys. Whereas here, it's the same sentiment, but it's actually it's actually being imparted as wisdom because we're definitely on the side uh, of of the, the the Tibetan attitude here in. Uh, in in this story and 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 I, it's a very interesting thing to consider because you know this story is about regeneration and rebirth uh and i love that tinkly bell thing <laughs> um yeah i i, I oh and and of course the spider voices are is Anne Churchman, voice of Alpha Centauri, and uh, Kismet Delgado, a, 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 another example of Barry Letts's decency. Remember Jenny McCracken, who's in Carnival of Monsters, telling me that um, her agent had gone bust and basically disappeared with a load of money that he owed her. So he immediately, Barry Letts, got her a job on a nine-part series or something like that, 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 that meant that she was tidied over, that meant that she could get herself back on the feet, that meant that she was okay uh and and i think he sort of twisted the rules slightly because kismet delgado wasn't an actress uh you know roger delgado didn't didn't marry a, a member of the profession who was doing lots of work elsewhere kismet delgado is a, an actress with an imdb credit because she was a, a a widow who had no insurance payout because her husband because he was a pro uh when uh the unit car didn't show up at the at the airport to take him he you know he jumped in a cab with with other members of the crew but because it was a cab it wasn't insured whereas a unit car would have been so when it went over the ravine and killed him he was not covered by the film or the tv shows uh, insurance so she got no payout so the reason she's one of the voices of the spiders is uh, because barry letts was a thoroughly decent man and it was his way of getting getting her some cash together um which is, you know, which is, I think that wonderful voice actor, Robert Rietti, I think, I think he wrote a letter to the stage uh, asking for, asking for financial help for Kismet. I think, I think, I think I, I came across that in one of my, one of my uh, di disappearances down the rabbit hole of uh, dead actor factoids. That is what I call a hobby of mine. Uh, he's so good. I've, I interviewed John, John Kane over the, he lives in France. Uh, He's got a massive collection of DVDs that Ed Stradling told me. He said he's got so many DVDs. He said, even if I started watching these all now, I wouldn't have time to finish watching them before I die. And yet I still keep buying DVDs. Uh, I sympathise. Uh, his daughter, Susie Kane, is an excellent comic actress. Well, she's an excellent actress, but she specialises in sort of, uh, com you know, comedy cameo support you know character character roles in in good quality comedy um pop, pops up in a few things she's she's really good um 
and his son Simon Kane, I think, is a is a is a writer. So he's 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 kept it going. Um, I love the lighting uh, down here. I, lo- I actually Rochelle Selwyn sets, which you know, whereas I, 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 I wasn't overly um, complimentary about uh, you know Spiderville on Metabilis. I think her sets for the scene set on Earth are really really good. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, come on. Uh, oh, and and it's not. I think Terence Lodge here, who plays Moss, I think he's the only one of L- L- Lupton's other cronies to to be in this episode. Uh, and he's a wonderful actor. He's Aurum in. Uh, you certainly did. I like the way he says that. He's Aurum in uh, Carnival of Monsters, who is one of the greatest Doctor Who characters of all time. Uh, but he's also in the Macra Terra as Medoc, um, and and. Actually, occasionally took a break from acting, but Barry Letts uses him now and again. But he's excellent in some early Avengers, um, and he's also in the, the Age of Kings, the the Shakespeare that the BBC did in the, in the sixties. He's a he's a really high quality actor, but uh, sort of was in and out of the business, and um, sadly he's not too well at the moment. Uh, I, 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 now that's a really good um, attempt at an effect. It 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 doesn't quite work because the CSO is awful I love Sarah's outfit I do like a stripe and I do like a red and white stripe and I think I like that red and white stripe because it's also on the cover of the book uh there's it's a shame because that could be a good shot that one of Lupton on the background but the CSO is so bad it's not fooling anybody (laughs) and and this nor's that um but you have to appreciate the ambition instead of having Sarah disappear and reappear it kind of because because it the camera was behind her it sort of showed the change in her perspective so it's an attempt to do something slightly more interesting with that companion is transported from one place to another it's a bold effort you can't fault ambition but it does doesn't quite work but but you, you but at least barry barry lets his you, you know it's not a case of this will do it's a case of how can we make this a, a little bit more interesting of of these sorts of things that have become tropes of this sort of stuff if we're not too careful uh he's got a great face pertwee hasn't he those wonderful um sparkling uh, smiley crow's feet that he's got uh now here we are on metabilis 3 which in in theory really works and i would say in practice doesn't quite um uh, it's 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 yeah so here's um, the beautiful Joanna Munro, who I, th- I think is very young here, 1920, who, who went on to have a fantastic uh, career. I was delighted to get the chance to interview her relatively recently. So, um, fact fans, it was on the day that De- Tim Pigott-Smith died, because I was greeted by that news when I came out of the interview. Um, but she, she was on That's Life, so she's an actress slash presenter. Um, uh, and it's an early role for her, so when I... Uh, and, you know that's a good attempt to have a kind of sort of cliff edge thing going on oh but here's jenny laird who who has an acting or had an acting prize named after her at rada best actress best performance in a small role but who had no mean career the film black narcissus she is excellent in i, I in fact i looked at a, a, a couple of things she was in after this 
you know, because you, you, you might see an actress at the, the end of their career, something's happened, they've lost their mojo, and you get a performance like this. She's fine, she's great in an episode of Secret Army. It's not a massive part, but it's a it's a performance. This what she does here isn't even a performance. And and a few people have said, well, maybe she thought that she was rehearsing. But no, because it's not a it's not a lazy performance. It's it's not a performance. Uh, it's like she's been it's like she's been whacked on the back of the head. Um, <laughs> uh, and I mean, that, you know, there's a real attempt to give a sense of scale there. This does feel like a big sort of open square. But uh, and, and then, the, you know, the model work behind is, is suggesting, you know, that's the landscape of the planet. But and, and here's a thing that's got, gone, gone wrong. <laughs> this is Walter Randall speaking. But he's speaking with Max Faulkner's voice. Now, I don't know if they mentioned this in the uh, production text. I did. I, I, whoever was doing it, I think it might have been Nick Pegg. I, I emailed back and forth and I said, have you noticed this? They'd, I think they'd asked me about one of the actors. That sometimes happens with the production text. And I, and I said, have you, you noticed what's going on there? And I, th and I think what ha must have happened is something had gone wrong with the sound. Uh, and somebody must have made a note and gone we need to we need to do some adr with the guard captain and and that 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 you've just heard there is walter randall's actual voice um but but max faulkner is a guard captain in the next episode or a couple of episodes time and and my theory is that somebody they went get you need to get the guard captain back in because we can't hear his big speech and they got the wrong guard captain in which is why walter randall's words don't quite match his mouth and also it's not his voice because i don't think it's that they didn't like his performance and uh dubbed it with somebody else I, because otherwise you know where do you stop with that i think there must have been an initial sound mistake uh and and and, and yeah then they just got the wrong guy in because it's the, it, it and it, it's too much of a coincidence that it's also a guy that plays guard captain just in a different episode um but anyway I'm, I'm i'm quite pleased that i spotted that and uh and if it is in the if it is in the uh production subtitles that's because of me no i shan't you shan't take him i mean and, and then that sort of terrible running my husband my love why did you why why i mean my goodness i i mean i think it's possibly yeah, I mean, I think he's just as apter for for acting alone there. Uh, I mean, if as, as I say, I'm not even sure it can be called acting. I I I think it is a contender for the worst performance in the the whole history of Doctor Who, uh, and the, and there have been some sm bad performances in sort of small parts where you know an extra has been given a couple of lines. Uh, Walter Randall was just waiting there for her to come out. Um, so it's 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 kind of having trouble, isn't it? The the story. Um, because you get to Metabelius, and I remember reading, you know, the castist when I got the, the the episode guide or whatever, and you go, it's got Gareth Hunt, who, who's who's actually fine in this, um, you know, who's an actor of, who's who's done a lot. Uh, it's got Rafe Arliss, uh, who was in John Mills's Quatermass. I'd seen him play Sebastian in The Tempest, uh, to the Prospero of Bernard Breslau. Um, Oh, you can you can see that these guards are going to have a fight. One's Alan Chuns and one's Stuart Fell. They're both going to do a tumble. Um, so there's there's a bit of Walter Randall's own voice. Um, I, I I love the Pertwee etiquette. To you know, there's no 
he's really good. Uh, he's not he's not patronising or or slightly sparkling or, or or you know doing a bit of a nod and a wink. Uh, I'm talking to a spider. She's the queen. He's addressing her as the queen. I think he's absolutely brilliant at that. Um, it's a really good. It's a really good spider. That I think. I think that's you know. For, for this period in the show's history, I think is 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 really good. And here's a bit of the Terry Walsh. Is that? Is, I'm assuming that's the Terry Walsh Doctor. Um, uh, but Pertwee really is. Um, he does deliver on all fronts, really, doesn't he? He's, uh, you know, he's 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 charming. He's a he's a sort of credible ambassador. Um, oh yes, he gets he gets zapped here. There we go. Um, now was that? I've got a. Yeah. Ah, I was going to say I've got a feeling that was supposed to be the end of the episode. That is the end of the episode. But but hereafter, episode endings go a little skew if. As I say, we we get to Metabilis. Look, Mike Gates gets top guest billing, uh, or you know, third regular billing, whichever you you decide. Um, oh dear old T Terence Lodge. Yeah, he's uh, he's not too well now. Sadly, um, I I did uh, interview him for who's round and then went back to interview him for the uh the macra terra um blu-ray and i think in the end i can't bear to listen to my own voice <laughs> much as much as i might give the impression i like the sound of my own voice the opposite is true i think i keep saying things so i can't can't hear it i don't know how i don't know how it works but anyway um uh terry bless him had, had agreed to the interview for for Macro Terra and um, when we got there um, we were there for a long time and we tried very hard but he was um, his uh, his uh, he, he uh, uh, well he but he basically you know said the same thing um, for, for, for for the for the whole for the whole session really just just kept telling us the same two or three stories bless him uh, and, uh, and, uh, and and I think you know then then later not very long afterwards went went into a home where he is now um but he's okay he's been looked after uh and a lovely guy great you know and 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 uh and because he's quite sort of small and weedy and has those sort of big back, back teeth and that slightly full mouth y you think oh maybe he's just somebody who can play sort of slightly you know weaselly kind of characters but he's actually got a lot more presence and a lot more versatility and a, and a lot more spark than that actually he's a he's he's a, a an actor of slightly more heft than his physicality sometimes allows and there's been a couple of performances of his that have really surprised me because of their their strength um and and he's a great you know great servant to doctor who um but you know yeah me, me doc is is the sort of you know he's he is the, the sort of slightly panicky guy who sees the mac grisney and and Aurum is the sort of sniveling lackey love that performance oh i can't wait to do carnival of monsters which somebody has claimed but still not sent me their contribution to and that that's actually been chosen by somebody who's been in doctor who so i must um i must uh uh uh, I need to do a round robin of the of the of the people that have agreed to do this and not sent their videos. Now I'm aware that I probably went a bit around the houses there, for which I apologise. Um, I think I was more facts and compromises there than 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 perhaps uh, things that were amazing. Uh, so I have to think about something that i 
really liked about episode three? Well, there's a few things I like. I like the fact we got to spend a bit of time with Lupton and the fact that he has that. He's not just in the thrall of the spider. He's got his own mental backbone. Can you have that? His, his cerebellum is fortified. I was going to say by spunk then, because, you know, he's a, you know, you say somebody's got spunk if they're, a, you know, if they're, if they've got a bit of chutzpah and a bit forceful. But I think um, cerebellum is fortified by spunk is perhaps not the sort of phrase we want in a family show. Not one that has followers who will leap on every possibility for a double entendre and uh, and bang it for all it's worth. Um so I yes I like that back and forth. I actually think the spider props are pretty good. Um shame about the CSO. Um uh I love the way that John Pertwee speaks to the queen l- like she's a queen. And 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 and, and he's really and, and you know he does that in Frontier in Space as well, doesn't he? He knows the decorum of the of the draconian court. Sometimes the doctor uh, you know, goes goes into places of pomp and circumstance and undercuts that. And I like that. I like the anarchist doctor who sort of goes, well, you know, I don't stand on ceremony for anybody. I don't, I don't, you know, I, I cock a snoop to authority. You have to, you have to prove that you're worth respect. You know, I don't just, I, but I also, at the same time, I, I, I do like a bit of decorum and I do like people behaving properly and, 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 and following certain protocols because I believe that that sort of sometimes that stuff can sort of hold us all together and and, and remind us that we're not the most important person in, in the world uh, and and I think sometimes we need to you know we need to bear that in mind as well um, uh, and uh, and I like I like the way that Pertwee is a is a natural uh, when it comes to respecting the sort of the, the way that you behave. And, and royal protocol and things like that um but and i think because it fits him particularly like a glove and it and it and it and it, and it doesn't and it doesn't you know it it doesn't work against the fact that the doctor is also you know this 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 uh this naughty anarchist when the doctor wants to be so um but i think i think is it gonna be so i'm i'm tossing up between the 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 spider props, particularly the queen spider. John Pertwee talking to the queen because <laughs> that's the bit that's making me smile the most. But I also have a do have a grudging appreciation for, you know, Lupton. I like the fact that he washes his face and his hands and, he, and he's got a bed and, and, and it just seems all quite real. And the fact that actually the fact that he's not... Uh, you know somebody of high status he's he's not you know he's not a fallen prince he's not a base commander he's 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 not a a a, a genius who's misunderstood or who's had a taste of power and wants a bit more uh he's he's just a slightly broken underachieving middle-aged man who's gone sod it i want a bit of power um, not for any great motivation, not for, and and the slights are so pathetic, isn't it? I, you know, I work for these people, and they 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 work me really hard, and didn't really respect me very much. It's, I mean, it's hard, you know. It's 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 hardly, you know, a metaphysical woe, and 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 that makes it sort of, but it's deliberate, you know. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think they've gone, oh, who, who, who you know, who can we get to be the villain? How about a a, a 
a frustrated middle management type uh, who's who's been put out to pasture because that's the most exciting kind of baddie we can think of. I think it's deliberately the bathos there is is quite deliberate um, because you could have had him that he was a you know a former minister that had fallen on hard times and was trying to get his glory back. But 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 we spend a lot of Doctor Who time you know in the corridors of power. I I I, I, I quite like it that we 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 have somebody who's yeah who's who's just a guy with a job. So I suppose. And I suppose because he is ill-served elsewhere, and I don't think it's a perfect performance. It's quite a strange performance in places, but I, I, I think it has enough. And I think particularly in this episode, especially as he he turns the mental, you know, the mental attack back on the spider. Uh, I wonder if I, I will say, I, I will say, you know, the, 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 the combination of what Lupton stands for, his relationship with the spider, and aspects of John. Earth's performance and I liked him having a sweaty face when he came in and I liked the way he washed his arms I just see I don't know it just it seemed unusually sort of real to me um oh and I did like the way he did the the, the unit pass thing in episode two as well didn't I um and, and you know he might have a perfectly good reason for not being very good at running uh uh so shall I say Lupton or because it's Pertwee's last story I do feel and I sometimes overlook the doctors I do like the way that Pertwee talks to the spider queen <laughs> uh but maybe maybe Pertwee will be my overall thing at the end uh i'm gonna i'm just because i think this is probably his best episode I, i'm gonna go for lupton for the reasons i explained but it's a it's a it's a compromise choice because i i don't think he's 100 percent successful but i think in this episode we get we get the we get we get we get him at his best. We get the best of him. He fulfills his potential, I think, here. Ironically, for a character who who feels that that's what he hasn't done. What does what does Annie think? What's Annie Wallace chosen for episode three? Episode three, we are on Metabilis. We see Metabilis three now, and um, it is astonishing. It's it's a it's, it's a barren place, and and. The biggest kind of shock, I suppose, is when you first see the Spider Council. Uh, these um, these spiders all sat on cushions, uh, not on cushions, on um, on a kind of raised platform, and they are the rulers of Metabilis Three, uh, who were domestic spiders carried on a spaceship, but mutated by the power of the crystals. Yeah, yeah the, the, this this is important later on, and I think just seeing them there, it was like, wow, that's quite scary because they were big. They were big, and yes, they you could tell kind of that they were puppets because you know they didn't move as elegantly as they could have done. Doesn't matter to a nine year old, nine year olds know that things are puppets, but they still go for them, don't they? It's like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna buy into the fact that that is an animated hand puppet, and, and so I did. Great, the spiders, wow, scary. So that was the big reveal there of, of part three, and I, I love the way that Annie sort of is explaining various plot elements that we're going to come back to later we're getting a sort of previously on and a little bit of a commentary um <laughs> which i'm liking and because annie is a very talented uh, actress i think you, you you know you're getting a lovely performance of it too um yes i suppose i i suppose that you know the spiders themselves are you know a great idea and and and, and uh and, and maybe if i thought about it more intelligently uh, 
you know, having had the success with the maggots, that the idea of now going spiders and preying on people's fear of spiders is a very smart move of the production and, you know, a, a great story to tell within the Doctor context. And, and, and they make some they make some very nice models. I, I, I suppose I, I've got to be honest, though, with with myself and go. It, it, it's, it's always been a bit like pulling teeth for me that those a lot of those sequences because of the CSO which is something that haunted my childhood uh, <laughs> I can never quite shake it although I, as I said loving the queen uh, loving the queen so maybe and I really like Annie's sentiment there where she pointed out that you know nine-year-old because I, I, I don't know I, I you know I was I, I don't remember um you know, I didn't watch it at a young enough age to know whether I would have been convinced or not. Um, but Anne is saying that when she watched it as a child, um, she, she knew it, they weren't real, but was prepared to suspend disbelief because you're a child and you accept things. And and it's I think there's something that we need to talk about actually as viewers um, about when we decided that everything had to be realistic now the idea that you'd have a compromised effect or whatever is you know an, an, an anathema to television makers you know you you would never whereas with philip when i talked to philip hinchcliffe about um who's doctor who revisited he was talking about saying you know i i think he says in the in the documentary you know we work on the proviso that 50 percent of our special effects will kind of work but we have a go at a hundred percent. But you know, we think fifty percent is a good hit rate. So I, I, we, you know, we're ambitious and we try, but we're not overly worried if we fail. Not because we're lazy and not because we don't have the ambition, but because we trust that the audience know what we're suggesting and they are prepared to do the rest of the work. Which is what you do in a theatre. You know that that person's not going out of a door when they walk into the wings or whatever and you see them go off and they maybe stop acting you know if i'm thinking of the royal exchange where i am in manchester here it's a theater in the round so you know obviously they they walk past you and and they're no longer in the drama but they have to get from from where they are on the stage to where, what you know is out, outside of the theater space and you make a compromise but but if the emotion is real enough and and the the, the drama has been convincingly parlayed um you, you as an audience member have that cognitive dissonance of going well i know i'm in a theater and this isn't real and that person is now leaving the stage and going to that place that i hang around and bought an ice cream just now and going oh my god i'm moved by this situation or i find this situation very tense or, or isn't this a hilarious farce or whatever and that that relies on you, the audience, having good faith. Um, and as a comedian, I'm big on this because a comedy gig can fail if you, if you as the audience, want it to, and some do. Um, and it's not always a, that's not always a failure of the comedian because if 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 you know it's like, like when you see somebody there with their arms folded, go go on, then make us laugh. You go, will you? I never will now because you have set up a situation where I'm I'm up against it. You can ruin this for me. Now, sometimes you can get out of that because, you know, you can do a bit of back and forth and the rest of the audience can get behind you or whatever. But but it a, a gig is fairly easy to torpedo if that, that faith between audience and performer breaks down. And I think that the, the audience and television makers 
enjoyed a similar sort of faith when I was growing up watching television, that you knew that Juliet Bravo police station was was a sort of three-walled set, but you also believed that everything you were watching was taking place in a police station because you didn't say to the television makers, unless you convince me that this is real, I am not going to believe the drama that plays out within it. Um, and I remember a, an old and wise comic, Jeff Innocent, who's not a who's not a uh, a classic TV fan or anything like that. But I remember him saying to me, you know, uh, what, what, yeah, what, when, when was it that television decided that everything had to be totally a hundred percent believable? Um, because you know production values have got so much better, you know, and 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 there's there's yes, there's the the idea that an audience today would watch something where there was something that wasn't realistic looking so would then take you out of the drama would would be unacceptable would be un you know it would not be transmittable really today um and i don't i'm not sure that we've benefited from that i don't, i you know i don't see i mean i suppose it's better isn't it the television has got technically better um but but i always think if 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 an audience you know uses the muscles between its ears it, does it but then again all the tele, television today is is brilliant and audiences aren't stupid so maybe it's just me being nostalgic for or maybe it's me even patting ourselves on the back for going well we could watch this and uh even, even though we maybe, maybe i'm giving us credit um for a skill that you don't need anymore so what you know why miss it when actually television is now technically so much better you don't have to worry about that um and maybe maybe there's some truth in that uh maybe i've just talked myself out of a great theory i had about television being brilliant when it when when it wasn't necessarily realistic um but i i don't think i don't think audiences gain anything from saying well i can i can you know the onus is all on the television maker i think as an audience you have to you have to collude in the illusion uh, uh, yeah and and also have good faith you know um it's hard make, it's hard to make television just just technically it's hard to make television that if if a, a, a coherent piece of television is actually quite a hard thing to put together um so the fact that so much of it is as good quality as it is and i respect people who make things i think and so i get touchy when stuff is dismissed on what i think is an unnecessary basis maybe um you know i don't i don't i don't and i think it that, that goes down to you know that that kid who was paranoid about cso meaning that his friends would laugh at his program that he loved and that's partially because i thought you know bad cso looked bad as well but that doesn't matter <laughs> but you know, I think it's all comes from me being protective of Doctor Who, but also of of me saying, well, don't you know, it's obvious that that CSO is not very good. So why do you have to spend so much time sort of chortling at it and laughing at it and dismissing it? Why don't you just get over that and then, you know, try and see th through that and into actually the more important aspects of the storytelling? 
but that's because this is my thing and I love it. And I'm, it's interesting. I've done this sort of defensive monologue uh, about people not not seeing the best in things on an episode where that I've been largely critical of. So um, I'm probably a terrible hypocrite with double standards. Uh, or am I? I don't know. It doesn't really matter, does it, in the great scheme of things? Um, don't say that because that means that this is all a colossal waste of our time. Oh, dear. I'll tell you what, I think I'm going to go away. <laughs> I really enjoyed episode one or two, and I actually thought I did quite a good job of the commentary on episodes one or two. I don't think I've done a particularly good job on episode three, which is annoying because I felt like I was on a roll. So I think I'm going to go away uh, and become reborn as a new man for episode four, uh, uh, which would be thoroughly appropriate considering the story that we're watching. Um so um, I, I'm now going to go and shout at myself for my own shortcomings. I'm going to turn turn the air blue, uh, which uh, uh, once again is is very appropriate. Happy times and places. Goodbye. Well, thanks ever so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock. My special guest at the moment is Annie Wallace, who can be found on Twitter at Annie Wallace and on TV in Hollyoaks. My thanks to Annie and to the many patrons who make these podcasts possible, and they include Philip Marsh, Daryl McLean, Nate Lynch, Jacob Lumley, Andrew Llewellyn, Andrew Lester, Neil Little, Andrew Larson, Pete Lack, Hendrik Korzenyowski, Andy Kitching, Matthew Kilburn, William Keith, Judith Jackson, Andrew Jolly, Robert Jewell, Paul Ingerson, Darren Howard, Matthew Hooliston, Sam Hollingsworth, Simon Hodges, Stephen Hill, Matthew Herbert, Legion Henderson, Paul Hayes, Ronald Hayden, Duncan Harvey, Steve Hatcher, Susan Harrison, Hammer House of Podcast, Aaron Gullias, Paul J. Guest, and Robin Groen. And the music is by Dave Gates, and the podcast artwork by Dylan Patterson. Well, if you would like to join that list, please go to patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. One of the joys of being a patron is that you occasionally get your name mentioned on the credits, but that's not the only lure. You get advance releases, you get bonus releases, you get exclusive releases and access. The patrons are currently six months ahead with Happy Times and Places, and they also get a podcast called Far Too Much Information, which is available nowhere else other than Patronville and also a monthly AMA with me and other sorts of things. The tiers start from as little as £3 a month and most things are available on the lowest tier because I'm not commercially minded and I hate the idea of withholding anything. There are a couple of sort of little trinkets uh, as you go up the ladder but actually nobody's claimed uh, quite a lot of them because um, cause as I say the, you know, everything is pretty much there at the £3 and you can get a 10% discount on the £3 uh, and indeed any of the tiers if you sign up for a year in advance that means I've got gotcha. you but uh, you withhold 10%. And uh, you can do that, as I say, patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. If you can't commit or don't want to to a monthly thing, you can go to ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock. If ever there's a reason you particularly want to just uh, chuck me whatever denomination of cash that you like, if you've particularly liked a podcast or you think I sound hungry or you're just feeling uh, generous yourself, uh, you've got a tax rebate or something. But look, I don't expect money because I know how difficult finances are at the moment. I've just seen my electricity bill 
Oh, shoot skywards. So uh, I know we're all in the same boat. It just means a lot that you're listening to this stuff. And, you know, I hope that my wittering is of some value to you. Uh, so look, if you want to uh, go to iTunes or Podbean or wherever you get your Toby Haydoke's Time Travels podcasts from and give these a five-star rating uh, and a few lines of review, that really helps to separate these from the crowd and to increase the traffic and mean more people listen. And that would make me very grateful indeed and costs you absolutely nothing. Would you like to follow me on Twitter? You can, at Toby Haydoke, T-O-B-Y-H-A-D-O-K-E. And these podcasts have their own stream feed, Twitter identity, at Haydoke Podcasts, H-A-D-O-K-E. You can also follow my comedy club, Excess Malarkey, which has been going for 25 years, and I've been comparing it since day one. It's in Manchester every Tuesday at 8pm, and we have acts from the national and international comedy circuit, all glued together as affably as I can. Yep, by me. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Excess Malarkey Comedy Club in Manchester. Well worth a listen. I'm on Instagram, too. It's largely pictures of my dog. Uh, and you get more of those if you're a patron. Every Tuesday, there's a Bernard picture. So um, that's enough whoring me about, really, isn't it? So, um, yeah, d do all that I mean, if you want. I'm sure you've got better things to do. Not very good at this advertising, Lark. But patrons keep these ad-free. I mean, you know, actual ads. So, so that's something, isn't it, in this day and age? So uh, here we are. Uh, uh, I'm about to go live with this. I'm actually five minutes late with this for the patrons they usually get a release at midnight but i'm sure nobody's staying up uh, just to get this uh, at the actual time but i like to be i like to be punctual uh, but i may as well use this uh, post credit time as well as apologizing to anybody that's hovering over their computer at midnight is that um uh, for some reason the word the the the, the, the name mini moke entered my head while i was watching the chase not the chase um, as in the Doctor Who story, um, and not the chase, as in the the TV quiz show, or has been pointed out. I think was it by David Gillespie. Hello, David. One 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 of the uh, uh, one of the many lovely patrons. Not the chase. The 2006 BBC drama. Um, there's other chases. Let's not 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 Lorraine Chase. Uh, whilst I was watching the chase in uh, Planet of the Spiders episode two, I mentioned the word. Mini Moke. Uh, and as Andrew Llewellyn points out, that's the transport for the prison guards in the novel of the Sea Devils. John Deere pointed it out too, and also pointed out that uh, the Mini Mokes are the little cars in The Prisoner as well. But sometimes, you know, I probably, you know, if I'd sat and thought about it, but uh, sometimes my head just throws little things in just to, just to, just to activate an I think you'll find out there. So yeah, because obviously in the TV version of the Sea Devils, they're Citrons, aren't they, uh, with the doors removed. And that is because Michael Bryant's wife is was French, and so he'd seen them there, uh, but they weren't over here yet, or they were new. So anyway, he quite they they were yeah they were. So that's that's how uh, he decided to use those. Uh, but yes, in the book they are mini mokes, which are 
the little things that are in the prisoner are nothing to do with a gyrocopter, of course. I'm 48 years old and uh, I'm not good at vehicles. I've never driven in my life. And I just remembered the, the words mini and moke went together for something Pertwee-esque and a vehicle. And I think that's that's enough to go, here's a load of vehicles and Pertwee. That that has a, that has made them that has awoken the moken that has that has made the mini moke awoke in my um, adult old mind. Anyway, there we go. I better get this out to the patrons. Um, so the, I mean, they will, while they get this, when when they get this, it'll still be warm. Whereas uh, by the time you get it, if you're not a patron, if you're listening to this and you're not a patron, oh, I mean, it's past past its sell by date. It's probably off. But I mean. I hope it's still good, because, yeah, yeah, that's a terrible way to advertise. Yes, uh, the thing that you've just consumed is probably going to give you food poison, ear poisoning. Yes, anyway, but it's not. It's just, um, it's just no longer topical. N- not that it's a topical podcast, so that's fine. It's like UK gold. Uh, <laughs> by the time you heard it, probably a lot of the people involved had died. I might have done. I don't know what I'm doing in six months. Um, I don't think I'll be able to pay my electricity bill, but I know I'm not alone. <laughs> well, listen, um, I've, I've had plenty of opportunities to stop this podcast, and I haven't yet, so I'm going to now. Goodbye. <laughs>